All right, welcome, welcome. This is the Who Snack Hour. We're sitting here talking about the many, many changes in Who Snack life that have occurred in the last couple months. We have ourselves a brand new uh, representative class, all in on this democracy thing we're trying. We think as we set down these weapons that we've done, maybe sharing this technology with other sentient species is really gonna take the, the galaxy, oh, excuse me, <coughs> really gonna take the, Mm. Woo! That, I, that doesn't, oh. <laughs> Welcome to Re-Engage. Here we are, a group of Gen X busybodies re-engaging, get it? With a series that made us happy back when we were young children and Jimmy was 23. We are watching this series one episode at a time and talking about the things that made us happy then and make us happy now. I'm Eric Gratton, your host for this episode. We're dealing with the episode Survivors, season three. Episode three, the golden episode for this season. Uh, I have with me my cultural bridge officers. And uh, why don't we see what's happening with each of them? Greg Tito, what's happening with you today? Make it stop, Eric, make it stop. <laughs> I'll do anything. <laughs> I'm very freaked out by uh, what's happening to Councillor Troy in this episode. Oh, it's wonderful. I can't wait to dive into that particular bit, a uh, subplot that I know will bring us all joy and happiness. Jimmy G, what are you up to today? Uh, I'm chilling. I'm loving that intro. What a great uh, way to start off. Uh, but I have to say I'm a little disappointed that this episode, again, was rated PG for fear and sex, and I found it extremely lacking in the sex department. Hmm. Yeah, I certainly don't think there was enough uh, sex to warrant a warning. Uh, Kate Yeager, how's it going? Hey, Eric Gratton, your acting was so good in that that I got concerned about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can't even help it. He's a master <laughs> actor. <laughs> Here we are, my friends. One of my favorite episodes with some of my favorite people. Uh, I think we should go around the horn and talk about our own particular specialties with regard to this episode. Greg, can you tell us uh, what was happening in the world back at this particular juncture? Sure. It was October 9th, 1989 when this first aired. A lot of things in the world, including October 1st, so uh, a little bit of a week before. So I, I didn't miss this on our last episode, but it was... Uh, hey. Go back and get it now. I'll go back and get it now. Yeah. A civil union between partners in a same-sex relationship became legal in Denmark. Uh, it was passed on June 7th, but it went through their Supreme Court uh, on October 1st. And it is the first of such legislation in the world. Uh, and I just thought that was a really uh, great marking point for, for uh, Pride as we've seen that uh, progress uh, in the decades since. Uh, continuing the fuck yeah Denmark fuck yeah Denmark way to do it you Danes there's something really not rotten in Denmark <laughs> oh about that um, there are continued speaking of rotten there's continued yes. demonstrations uh, in East Germany uh, against the communist regime that are uh, ongoing after the uh, Prime Minister of East Germany said, hey, you could go to West Germany if you want. And they eventually were like, well, you know what? It's a lot better there and we should break this whole thing down. And it begins the reunification of Germany. But there are mass demonstrations happening across East Germany this week. Well, what had happened was that a bunch of people had come over and gotten into these bars where they met this guy named Jimmy. <laughs> That's and exactly. they had so much fun hanging with Jimmy that they went back and they're like, I need to be able to get right to this. Footnoted kid. in the annals of history. <laughs> it was Jimmy and Billy Joel uh, who it really was. changed everything. Canon. Have you seen the documentary of him uh, going to Russia a couple years no. before this? No. He basically does pat himself on the back and says, well, it was up to me. Uh, you know, it changed everything. It, uh, me performing rock and roll music in Moscow to Russian teenagers and teaching them how to love the rock and roll uh, changed the world. According to Bill what Bill. a surprise that someone with such wealth and power would think so much of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that story. Speaking of wealth and power and making a uh, questionable decision, uh, October 12th, a couple days after this was aired, 
Dallas running back Herschel Walker was traded from the Cowboys to the Minnesota Vikings for many future stars, including Emmett Smith uh, and uh, a slew of folks. It started that whole era of the Cowboys uh, uh, doing well, I guess, in the 90s. Is that right? Oh, yeah, they did very well in yeah. the 90s. Several Correct. Super Bowls. Yes. Several Hall of Famers. And uh, fuck Herschel Walker, who was a really, really good college uh, running back, like unbelievably good. And uh, a really shitty pro one. And he became a really shitty human being uh, relatively <laughs> recently. So uh, uh, what else was going on there, Greg? So much shit. Uh, I mentioned how Art Shell took over uh, as the L.A. Raiders coach last Woo! week. And this was its first game on October 9th. On the day this aired, the L.A. Raiders, they were the L.A. Raiders at the time, beat yes. the New York Jets on Monday Night Football. So good nice. for Art Shell and uh, his Raiders. Is, uh, are it. we wrapped up? Is that That's the whole it. world? A whole world in a nutshell from Greg Tito. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Jimmy, what was the whole world behind the scenes in this particular episode, The Survivors? Uh, only two things of note from my standpoint. One, this is the first master shot of uh, the away team beaming in. We see this when they first touch down on the planet. Uh, every other time, like we see later in the episode, it's a close-up of those people. And for the first time, we saw a long shot, sort of like the uh, satellite view of the, them beaming in. And it's actually the first mention of Andorians in TNG. Is it? I noted that. That's super cool. I noted the mention, but I, I hadn't realized it was the first one. That's fun. Um, and, and that's all you got. No yeah. infighting. No Nobody infighting. had a kid behind the set. Well, none of the none well, of the big shit. At least not right. that anybody's talking about. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> see, we can make shit up at this point. Kate, tell Whoa. me about the pop culture. I'll tell you so much about the pop culture. Uh, on the movie front, Black Ooh. Rain continued to Hell dominate. Yeah. This will be its Andy last. Garcia. That's right. This will be its last week reigning number one. <laughs> on the music front, we have a new number one song, Miss You Much by Janet Jackson. So fucking good. I'll tell you, mama. I'll tell your friends. I'll tell anyone whose heart can comprehend. Baby, send it in a letter. Baby, tell you on the phone. I'm not the kind of girl who likes to be alone. So so good. And thanks to our ASCAP license, we can just go ahead and That's do right. that as much as we want. That's Fuck right. Yeah. Thanks, I, Greg. What you what you don't know is that I just subtly change notes to be wrong, good just so work. that we're you know underneath the umbrella. They Smart. say pitchy, and I say nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm circumventing rights. That's what I'm doing. That's right. Damn skippy. Um, on October 9th, uh, the week that this aired, the San Francisco Giants defeated the Chicago Cubs in Game 5 of the National League Championship Series to go to the World Series for the first time in 19, since 1962. Mm. And uh, in births, uh, we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, in a fit of me feeling very old <laughs> being born. AOC. Dig that AOC in the country. Shall we continue on to the episode and I'll tell us about the guest stars that we have? Yes. Let's show. My goodness, these guest stars. Uh, I know Jimmy loves a good long guest star discussion. So uh, <laughs> since I have the reins this week, let's dive into a nice long discussion about John fucking Anderson and Anne Haney. Shit, yeah. We'll start with Mr. Anderson, who was in every movie ever made. Uh, my pop loved old westerns more than he loved just about anything, which means that I saw Mr. Anderson about once a day from the time I was six to the time I was 16. So we're talking about every fucking television show that ever had a cowboy hat or a six. Every single episode and uh, had guest stars shot every TV show in the 60s or in the 50s, right? Then came 1960 and a little movie called Psycho. Mm. He's California Charlie, the used car salesman who steals the scene, selling a car to Marion Crane, who's on the run. Brilliant. Uh, and then a ton more single episodes that year. And then because of the success of Psycho, he hits it deep with Virgil Earp in The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp. Fantastic show. And then he was off. Ed Dimitrix, Walk on the Wild Side with Barbara Stanwyck and Jane Fonda wonderful mm. uh, ride the high country my favorite sam peckinpah western with randolph scott great one how the west was won <laughs> more and more movies while still doing things like multiple twilight zones outer limits rawhide etc on tv 
Classics like the Hallelujah Trail, the Fortune Cookie, A Covenant with Death, Five Card Stud, Cotton Comes to Harlem, the Andersonville Trial, continuing to appear multiple times on every show with a six-gun and a cowboy hat, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Zoot Suit, Eight Men Out as Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, a role he played a few years later in a Babe Ruth TV uh, movie. He passed away a couple years after this episode finished with Quantum Leap and Jake and the Fat Man bringing up the end of his career. And he passed away three years after this. What age do you think he was in this episode? 84. Uh, 77. 69. <laughs> At this point, nice. he was 66. Yeah! Wow! He aged hard. That's a lot of smoking. This was an aging generation, my friends. Yes, it was. He was wonderful, fantastic, and then we move on to Hall of Famer Anne Haney. Yes, everyone in the fucking world loves this actor. She did not join the profession until her 40s after wow. her husband... What? Uh, passed away suddenly, and then she moved to Southern California. She had studied theater in college, but then she moved to Southern California and immediately got a part in Hopscotch, starring uh, Walter Matthau and Lee Grant. If you've never seen it. It's so unbelievably good. One of the great mystery comedies ever fucking made. Hmm. Um, so right from there, she gets immediate success in these monster projects. She's so deadpan funny. And then in this episode, you see the heart she brings to everything. She just makes you cry for her. Um, so right after Hopscotch, she does The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, Some Kind of Hero, one of Richard Pryor's lesser movies. And we all need to watch all of Richard Pryor's lesser movies because that dude was fearless and just exploratory. He would do the weirdest fucking shit. And some of it actually really works in shitty movies. <laughs> um, Francis, uh, Jessica Lange, just so unbelievably good. The Osterman Weekend, Impulse, which is a great weird-ass uh, sci-fi movie. The Best of Times. Then tons of TV for about another decade, including this and Deep Space Nine. And then she comes back in movies firing on all cylinders with Mrs. Doubtfire, probably her most well-known role. Uh, then it takes right to the American president where Sorkin really tried out the character of Mrs. Landingham on her. She played mm. the, uh, the kind of original OG Mrs. Landingham in that. Like the confidant um, of, the, of the president, right? Yeah, and yeah. the secretary outside with the same kind of fun uh, banter back and forth with all of the uh, people trying to get in to see the president. After that, right through to Albert Brooks's uh, mother, uh, then Liar Liar, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the Psycho remake, the out of just a short history of her TV moving backwards from the end. She ended up with a Dharma and Greg, as well as a um, Ally McBeal there towards the end. And before that, we had Curb Your Enthusiasm, Chicago Hope, Boy Meets World, Murder One, NYPD Blue Sisters, ER, LA Law, Northern Exposure, Quantum Leap, Doogie Howser, Matlock, It's Gary Sandling Show, Mama's Family as Mrs. Meacham, the recurrent nemesis, Designing Women, Beauty and the Beast, Our House, Hill Street Blues, Head of the Class, Golden Girls, Dynasty, Mr. Belvedere, Newhart, Benson, St. Elsewhere, Scarecrow, Mrs. King, Family Ties, Queers, uh, Queers, Cheers, Quincy, <laughs> Bl <laughs> Blossom, <laughs> uh, Dukes of Hazard, died in 2001, so... 12 or 13 years after this at the so how old was she in this in this yeah 77 58 69 in this she was 55 no yes this is see all of you were fucking around when you chose the small one and yet you didn't go small enough didn't go small wow. enough She's been in so much, and I feel like I just saw her in something the other day. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm right. surprised she died in 2001. Yeah, she did a couple of Christmas movies, because I've seen her in a couple things recently that have me just going, like, the moment I saw her, I'm like, that is so fucking cool. Liar Liar was the one that you met on that list, where I'm like, oh, yeah. that's what I remember her from. I saw as the, that like, secretary. last week. That's what it was, yeah. She's so uh, great in that, but it's also that same kind of, you know, support role that she had for the American yeah. president and stuff. Yeah. Just just a, a master at what she did. It was so cool to watch her always seem to be having fun. So those are our two guest stars. Like we move forward. They were going, as they often do, from one place to another when their plans suddenly changed, having received a distress call 
from a colony that hadn't been visited in a while. They change direction as quick as they fucking can. Um, and they head to, where are they going? What's the name of this band? Rama 4? Rama 4. Very important. Rama 3, uh, we thought was the end of the trilogy, but Rama 4 is <laughs> right on its heels and all of the rules are rewritten. Later. I felt like they could have made that into one movie, but that was totally. a cash grab to really divide it. <laughs> totally. But I do appreciate that the main action is over by the beginning of Rama 4, so we are moving into new territory. So I like that. They get to the planet and it's just a hellscape, right? What, what it reminds you of, the, the visuals of this ruined planet? Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy is a graduate of the great University of Wyoming. He's a cowboy? Yep, Are they cowboys. cowboys. All right. I thought this planet, I, I didn't think about it till now, but it reminded me a little bit of the, the devastation of, of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Like that idea of there just being nothing left on this planet was 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 horrifying to think about and then as we'll get to it at the end with uh with the themes portrayed in this but now i'm thinking that was a, a conscious choice oh certainly i mean they refer four or five times throughout it to having been a nuclear they don't they don't talk about big old torpedoes and shit they, they talk about nuclear devastation uh, what about you, Kate? Did you have any special feelings just looking at this effect? Well, my special feelings were reserved for the teal dress that uh, Troy <laughs> wears. It is mm. the, I believe, uh, first time she wears this dress, and it is one mm. of my favorites. It is also, I believe, the impetus for Jimmy's uh, warning about sex. <laughs> I, I legitimately <laughs> think... The, the sensors are so fucking puritanical wow. that they have a beautiful woman in a slinky dress who makes noises about headaches. And they're like, well, I'm kind of turned on. So I think we've got to put a sex thing. A sex wow. Thing. <laughs> that's all I can think of. Like, can you think of any other reason? I think it was the waltzing. Mm. <laughs> well, that was pretty. We all know what waltzing leads to. That's, right. that's true. Just counting to one, two, three, never quite getting to four. <laughs> it's It'll like come. my favorite joke. Why don't uh, Baptists have sex standing up? Because it could lead to dancing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, unfortunately. <laughs> so. On, uh, in, in the middle of all of this devastation, we suddenly get two life signs and they seem human. I mean, very quickly, we get the scene human. Like, there's a little question mark on the computer that brings up the uh, human-ish. And then we move over to where those uh, humans are residing, and what do we find, Kate? We find the rich people's house from Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with the backyard area. Correct. The moment they arrived there, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> what I love is that Worf does a little scan and is able to determine where like where everyone is in the house that there's a phaser that doesn't work very well um you know the last time they dusted the tables but doesn't <laughs> see the leg trap in the lawn coming yeah Ooh, that that's the point is just i feel yeah i feel like the leg trap wasn't there until uh until someone needed it to be there uh, oh, oh. You know, they make Worf look pretty stupid throughout this episode, and I'm here for it. The way, they, the, way the writers treat Worf in this and give Michael, Michael Dorn a real chance to shine with some of this comedic shit. Yes. I think Worf is yes. used so perfectly in this episode, and it starts kind of right there. Agreed. Kate, you know, where his frustration at not being able to protect anyone just builds and builds and builds. He's, he's the one right away that isn't sure, but then he gets even worse because when they meet these lovely people, which happens now, right? Yeah. We've skipped to mm -hmm. where they've beamed down to this two-acre plot. They've, uh, is it Picard? No. Or Riker that gets caught? Riker. Riker, Riker. of course. It's always Riker, Riker steps into a bear trap. <laughs> I love a bear trap, everybody. He does his whole bit upside down. Upside right. down. <laughs> yeah. That was great. You can really see it's the very polite. 
the two-piece uniforms there, right? It actually right. comes up a little bit so you can see the waistband. I'm like, oh, yeah, look, that is a two-piece. <laughs> and nobody raises to help them because they're like, nope. it happens to them all the time. Whenever we go yeah. to a planet, it's always Riker who's getting bit. <laughs> he's falling into traps. He's being thrown around. It's not around. like they have a working phaser or anything. <laughs> this is just a good story to tell Data when we get home. <laughs> well, Data's right Except there. Except he's there. I know it was a fun joke. <laughs> um, we know he's right there because he memorized yes. the uh, oh. the entire uh, crew component of the colony on the way to Rana 4. That's the way he says that makes, makes it sound like he was learning his lines. Like, I memorized yeah. it. Can't, isn't it different if you just upload the database to yeah. your positronic yes. brain? Like, yeah, right. I mean, it, he did something that any of us could do in the same amount of time. Yeah. And, and we're like, well, except he memorized the entire 11,000. Says he. He only shows <laughs> those two. Right. Well, this is a good point, Eric, because uh, I would, my instinct to say, well, he doesn't lie, but we maybe he does lie because in the last episode, he says, I am incapable of forgetting. Because mm. she says, I hope you'll remember me, the, the the love affair we never saw. And he says, I'm incapable of forgetting. So when you say memorize, it implies that uh, you are capable of forgetting, right? Otherwise, you yeah, don't memorize. Yeah, a little you, bit. Like, like Greg said, you download. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you already have the entire Federation uh, directory in your positronic brain. Right. As, as it's Greg just says. a few kilobytes, right? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Yeah, it's like 12 KB. Yeah. All right. <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. All right. So Data tells us who these people are because we can't have them introduce ourselves because that's way too clunky at exposition. So we have the robot do it. And uh, the problem with all that is that he's still holding that phaser. It doesn't work. It's got some gall. <sighs> right. <laughs> once, once he brings out his wife, uh, they they talk for a couple seconds and they go inside and Worf meets with the man and says, oh, what's the line? I had the whole fucking thing written out because it's so fucking perfect. It is so good. Yes. Attempting to hold an away team at bay with a non-functioning weapon showed unmitigated gall. And then uh, he says, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry or something like that. And then what happened, Jimmy? I like gall. <laughs> Yeah. Or I appreciate Gaul. I, I admire it. I admire, admire Gaul. Just one of he's his a, lines that are funny. Not the funniest. Yeah. But yeah. he's <laughs> a big old line. fan of France. And, <laughs> um, I was thinking, Eric, either that or his, his gallbladder. I wasn't sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Klingon dish. Yeah. So after Data brags about having the Rolodex and we go in and, and are talking <laughs> to the couple, <laughs> we're talking to the couple and she offers to make tea. And, and has a little moment of reflection that we have lost all of the rest of the, the uh, colonists and takes the doctor in to make tea. And the rest get, get themselves a nice little, little tour, right? We go back uh, to is that, the- Is that where um, we first see the, uh, that's where the, the, first dancing, music box. the dancing music box? Which I just want to point out, uh, just a really wonderful Spinerism yes. there. A uh, little dataism. The tiny he has these tiny little head ticks that he does when he's watching the music, and it's just something that he often does as he's as data explores something new. That yeah. I just I always love it. I loved it too, Kate. And I thought that he was like uh, it, it struck me as almost he was uh, enamored of the small mechanicals. Yeah. Like there was some. Uh, reflection of like, or he was like, he felt a connection to them. Like, yeah. oh, we're, we share something. We're both mechanical beings that yeah. dance around for your joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because I like to hook it up with, with things that, that connect humanity to reasons a machine might do that. I, I think, you know, he, he's programmed to, or he has programmed himself to realize that if he gets these recordings from slightly different angles in his head, he can he can see them in a more uh, holographic kind of mm. three dimensional image when oh. he goes back and looks at his memories. Uh, He's memorizing it. He is <laughs> <laughs> taking screenshots. I always associate that those head movements, though, when he's being the most childlike. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, when he's trying to be innocent appearing is when he's like, oh, I didn't understand oh, how humans you, so that's work a lie? or do things. 
No, right? I just no, think I, it's, it's part of his shtick. I think it's, no, I definitely think it's part of Spiner's mm. shtick. Yes. But, oh, but I not think data that, shtick. that I yeah. can make it part Got of you. data shtick as well. Like I'm giving him such credit that <laughs> like, I, I think that it holds up. I believe it. Uh, and, and, and his microprocessors and his uh, subroutines mimic human behavior for practical reasons as well. It's now canon. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I like it. All right. So we hear this music, the, the ominous calliope sounds. I, I wrote a, a thing at the beginning of this that, like, legit, the moment this episode started, I got a flash of that Twilight, epi Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life, uh, where the little kid uh, controls the family mm. and a visitor shows up on the road and meets this happy family. Uh, right. Mother, uh, mother, grandpa, I think sister and brother. And over time, it turns out the little kid has these godlike powers mm. and has held the other three captive. And if they don't do what he wants, he just kills them and brings someone else new into the family. Or punishes and, them, right? Like puts like closes yeah, does the sister's mouth or something. Like yeah, does really... that? They're his plaything. Yeah, but ultimately he he kills them if they don't, you know, uh, make him happy. And I I wrote down that episode, and then I'm like, I don't know why exactly I wrote that down. And then we continue. Ah, and something I I love about this this episode immediately struck me as one of my favorites when I started rewatching it, but the moment by moment plot stuff of it. I did not remember at all. Yeah. Uh, I had this image in my head of someone being all powerful and of it being one, not two. But I could not for the life of me decide which one it was for the entire episode. Because mm. I could see great reasons for it to be either one. And these actors are so good that I couldn't tell which one was playing a fictive part of someone else's mind. Yeah. Agreed. I actually kept waiting for that reveal. Uh, I, I remembered enough of the episode, like you said, to know one of these people is not who they seem. Uh, but I did. I was kind of waiting for it to be her because that would have been the the less uh, obvious and the more sort of like manipulative in a lot of ways that like, yeah. oh, no, yeah. what's happening when she knows full well what's happening. But yeah. it's still very satisfying the way it is as well. It is. And I agree. I think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. You wouldn't have had to change anything except on the last day of shooting, you hand them a different script. I have to say the moment that music box started, I was like, oh, Troy's going to hear that music. And then it was the <laughs> next jump to it. And it yeah. was like, of course, Troy hears this music. It's creepy calliope music. It's kind of unsettling. Of course, that's going to ring in her head. And And we find out that they do not look forward to coming aboard the Enterprise, right? They want to stay there. So we're also looking into what could possibly have happened, where they could the, the enemy could possibly have gone. So they're talking to Worf. Hmm. They're like, have you been able to locate any evidence of anything at all? Worf's like, no. Well, I mean, you know, the Andorians fucked around and took their ship apart after they'd done one of these things and hit it that way. And Worf ain't worried about no Andorians, guys. Come no, on. he's going to stake right. his, his reputation on it. Yeah. He's like, Andorians can't fucking fool me. Andorians, Captain? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what do you get so Noah on the back ship. on here to, to uh, have him talk about the, when the ship was taken apart? But I think the, yeah. the, the staking the reputation line is so good, Jimmy, because he immediately regrets that decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, hold on. Ooh, I right. made a bad call. Uh, well, I and I think it had a lot to do with uh, Picard's look. <laughs> the way he didn't say anything, it's just a cold look of. We'll see. Hope you're not wrong. I read the script, <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> he's not the most cooperative and encouraging captain throughout this. He's about to keep his entire plan secret, which right. Is really fucked up. Uh, and now he's just talking shit on whoever he happens to be in the room with. Um, so then, then we go on and we see that, that Troy, you know, Troy's doing fine. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, 
I wrote down for a counselor, she is terrible at asking for help, right? Like, like she's in that conference room. She's hearing things. She runs away. Like she's in there. She's in pain. She hears the doorbell ring and she immediately brushes her hair and like cleans herself (laughs) off. And I'm like, bitch, you're in pain. It's your job to tell someone. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. I was a little annoyed. I was like, why are you going to lie about this? Like, uh, one, is that good for you? And two, is obviously going to put the ship in danger or likely will by you. Well, like you say, the captain's the only one that's read the script. Well, <laughs> he knows that. I know. He's breaking the fourth wall. No, I agree. Like, because it's an important piece of information, right? Like, if you're trying to assess yeah. what's happening, it's a mystery of what happened to this planet. Why would she keep information from them that could be useful for them solving it? Well, and then when she finally does tell the captain what's going on it sounds like she's just kind of saying i became a songwriter in my sleep (laughs) um like i want to just say you know john lennon just wrote it down and then it was fine and it went away have you tried that like just you say you've never heard the song maybe you're a genius just get the guitar out and start noodling and then all of a sudden you got get back it just happens I will say if you've ever uh, directed or worked on a children's musical before where you have to hear those children singing the same song, you know, like Never Never Land from Peter Pan, you will get in what my family calls tune bondage. (laughs) <laughs> where that song will just not leave you. And and I will lie awake at night sometimes. Just consider yourself at home. <laughs> <laughs> what a family. Make it stop. There's, there's a song that kept getting cut and put back in uh, in the musical that I just did. And it's the only thing I can hear when I close my eyes. Oh, it's <laughs> the worst. It was just constantly cut from the show and then put back in and then cut and then put back in and it's it's all i can hear <laughs> um, we're here for you eric you, thank you we're, and so's the captain the captain is here for troy he tells her to go get high yes <laughs> he does he does i mean he doesn't be like go to sickbay he's like get that special shit you know <laughs> i love that sleep supplements yeah sleep inducers it's sleep inducements yes really impressive and then here's the next thing They're like, we're going to go down. Oh, I was dreaming of Rashawn and Kevin. Here's the thing for me. I had no fucking clue what those names were at this point. And he goes, Rashawn and Kevin. And I'm like, yeah, who the fuck are Rashawn and Kevin? You're right. (laughs) And then for the next scene and a half. Oh, actually, that's not true. Then after uh, they get chased, they they chase the aliens away. The... um, the As ship. they're coming back, he says, hey, we got to go back to Rama 4. I need to talk to those people. Then I knew who he was talking about. You got to be specific and say those people instead of the name. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know what you're talking about. Also, Kevin. Can we talk about the name Kevin? It's Kevin. <laughs> yes. Kevin. It's Kev. the funniest out of place, real world example of name. I don't know what right. David in you know Kirk's son David, I guess, but like Kevin. No, it's just, perfect. If you're gonna, David if you're not being sense, making believe you're human, you're not gonna go with Hunter. You go Kevin. Well, that's true. Would have made sense because they went so fucking uh, like symbolic with her name. Rashawn is Hebrew for first. Oh, or like origin, or Hello. you know things like that. So like. I feel like that had to be some kind of a a, a scene, you know, a, a signal to us, you know, her name, and then Kevin, I, no, which of I'm, course is Irish for handsome, but like, come on. <laughs> I'm with Jimmy. I think that the moment he turned human, he was looking around all Kaiser Sose style, and he was like, <laughs> "I am Kevin Humanson." <laughs> yes, Kevin Humanson. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Normal Human. How are you doing? Well, it, uh, can, can we take a break from the comedy for just a second? Uh, <laughs> let's go see. It's really good too. I love the uh, the, the the talk of the starship. Like they at the beginning, they talk about how it blotted out the sky, uh, and then they make a point to say how big it is. The, the the crew on the Enterprise, and they did nothing special effects wise to make this ship 
look significant at all. I mean, it was a cool design. And I guess one of the lesser notes from Nemesic is they actually uh, designed this ship. And they that was not par for the course. They, they called it Ship of the Week. And they would just repurpose something they already had in stock because they didn't have the money to make a brand new ship for a one-off. But they did for this one. And they did not do anything to make it look as imposing mm-hmm. or giant as they mentioned a few times. Yeah. Also, they use the same shot. Yes. Exact same shot, though, of that, you know, coming toward them, that little dip in toward them. Like, I will say that the attack is very cool. Yeah. No, and it was cool the way they, the other stuff they did. It was just make it look bigger somehow. So you see, like, the tiny Enterprise. It can be done with a simple shot with the board, like they would do with the board. The board cube is so much bigger than the Enterprise. Yes. I think they, they spent a lot on this this one shot, and they're like, "Let's sell all we got was this one shot. We Let's can't just do use anything. it in different ways." Have talk it up. Have talk you it guys up. reached? Have you guys reached out to Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> you mean those people? Yes, I feel like Kevin can take care of all of this. Um, he just he's not he's not really an idea guy. So hold he's on, more, Eric. He's is this more what, of an actor? Are you saying yeah. this is Kevin's fault? Like he couldn't imagine a bigger ship? Yes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying and that's why Kevin, <laughs> we didn't yeah. get. Yeah, yeah, he's like big. Okay, well, there's there's big ship, and it's not even clear. It looks like you know it doesn't have to look like the alien ship that actually destroyed this planet or you know was threatening to destroy this planet because it could look like anything. He just was yeah. making it big, right? And, it, and it doesn't have. Yeah, to we look don't like know if it was nice. supposed to be that ship. It's just a ship. If I'm I'm wrong, because I wrote down the same thing, Jimmy, I was pissed. I was like, this ship is not big. But when it returns, they say it returned with enhancements. And to me, that shot looked markedly bigger. Like Mm. they somehow made the ship look larger the second time we saw it. I I, I won't say that. Right. I won't say that it wasn't. It it didn't impact me that way. Like when I saw it. it the second time, it didn't seem any bigger. Maybe they just. I believe Kate over Jimmy, so I'm in. Done. (laughs) Cannon. Cannon. And it's Riker when Riker says something big. I mean, (laughs) what does he say? He said it's mean. It looks a lot meaner than it does now. Yes. (laughs) Oh, we know what that means. (laughs) It's angry, he means. (laughs) The depth of my insensitivity the first time uh, Troy hears the music and starts reacting. He's like, come on, you've heard the heart porn plenty. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't bother you. (laughs) She talks about Rashawn and Kevin, and then there's a red alert, and then the ship shows up. And then they chase. And they chase it. And, and Wesley has a nice moment there. Mm. I figured we want to would touch on Wesley. So to he speak. does those numbers so good. He kills he the numbers. He kills he it. Smashes and then, the numbers. And then he's doing it so well that Jean Luc just skips him and goes to Jordy. Jordy, this kid's not doing it fast enough. Give me what you got as fast as you can do it. And Jordy's like, "Fuck yeah!" Fifteen seconds, I'll have you at nine point three. And then. John Luke looks over at Wesley like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you continue to disappoint me. Yeah. He's he's fucking snarky on everybody today. He's trying to get Troy fucking drunk. Like everything's fucked. All right. We're being toyed with, he believes. Hmm. Let's go back and talk to those two people. All right. So we go back to Rashawn and Kevin, apparently. Because that's their names. Um, and it. What is he doing, by the way? He's got like a pole in the ground. I think like he's, he's looking for a, it's a it's obviously a water finder. Oh, it's like yeah. A, he's it's a like divining a rod. Divining rod, right? <laughs> he uh, it's still. I wrote down it still could be either of them. They come down and like I love that sometimes she lets him take the lead, and then there's an emotional something, and she comes in, mm. and then I'm like, oh, so now she needs to be the one because she was shocked into it and she took over so it's her and then he would do something to be like oh but now no it's him and part of it is just that these two actors are so good yeah all right so Worf kind of wants to die I wrote down (laughs) when when the big ship comes and tries to and hits them harder this next time and they start to leave he looks at the captain like the captain is a big old fucking wimp 
I'm like, we have tried to kill this thing. We have tried to blow it up. We've tried everything and nothing happens to it. And Worf wants to stay. I didn't want to miss the best no, slash most terrifying jump cut in all of Next Generation history. Please tell which me. Which is Kevin and Rashawn are like fighting about, do we need this replicator? And then she says, do you want to come in for tea? And then there is a jump cut to, to Troy just screaming stop at the top of her lungs to an unknown male person. Like there is somebody in her room that we don't know that she is grasping onto and shaking and uh, they give her sedatives. It doesn't work. It just like it took it. It worked on me. It uh, frightened the shit out of me. I think I was writing something down. Then they just go back to the tea. We met on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) But then you also have Worf's best moment ever. Yes. I believe on, on the couch. Tell us about it, Jimmy. Oh, when he looks at it and it's, it's perfect because it's, I think lesser writers, lesser actors would make the, the warrior always be a warrior. Uh, right. And it had me thinking, it was like, well, this is really great because you can be that that uh, that that consummate guy who wants to stay on the ship and die, but mm-hmm. you also know when it's not appropriate to just be gruff and always a warlike response. And he just says, in response to the tea, because he can't say anything else, good tea, nice house. <laughs> and it's almost data like because intellectually he knows these are things humanoids like to hear right they want to be yeah. complimented on whatever you they serve and on their home it's important to them so here you are i learned this in how to be amongst humans 101 and that pause shows such fucking confidence yeah that I don't know if I would have gone on that long and I would have missed out because that is just milk for every <laughs> ounce of yeah. perfection. Like, that's is, a long yeah. ass pause. Perfection. It's a good setup perfection. too because he clearly does not like the tea mm-hmm. and he, he wears it on his sleeve uh, and she's, she calls him out on it like in a little bit of an asshole, like, but I'm being nice motherly way. So it's this great... You think he's gonna be one way, and it's it's. I'm on the diplomatic mission. I never get to be on the diplomatic mission. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta impress Picard here. Yeah, nice house. It's really wonderful. Yeah, so it is great that the warrior is the funniest character. He is the yeah. funniest character on TNG. It's wonderful, and I I wrote down that I absolutely didn't appreciate it when I was twelve. Nope. Mm-hmm. Like I loved Warp. Nor at twenty three did I. Get this. <laughs> do you think uh Worf is missing Pulaski in this moment mm. Mm, he's his, Randy his yeah. tea I mean, partner they, they did oh, have yeah. tea yeah that's what he's thinking <sighs> of. and then now I wrote down I now have enough right. respect for the writer that I think it's Rashawn Kevin is the front she is the drive and he's a protection for her uh and then I wrote, oh, shit, maybe I'm wrong. And they're both human and, and there's nothing going on about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she says, I can't leave Kevin. And then I'm like, nope, it's her. These are all things I've written down within like 30 seconds. They completely got me spinning around. You're waffling back and forth. I am. I'm spinning around, not moving at all. What did you guys think at this point? I had another plot in my head where I thought it was a son. I thought it was like the the son had gained some type of godlike powers and they were the only ones that he spared on this oh. planet. That's where I was going with it. The son? Uh, what son? Like the, if they had had a child. If they had had a... Yeah. Oh, okay. oh and, that, and that that and was... And he'd gone crazy and killed the whole planet except for that. Right, and they were like trying to protect the... So I don't know what plots of that's, 80s that's plots the I've got wrapped zone up in shit. my head. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's the Twilight Zone. Oh, I was prepared for it to be like, well, there hasn't been colonists on this planet for 5,000 years. <laughs> like that we right. found out that they've both been dead for a really long time. Right. Oh, I like all of these. Uh, well, I did you, something Jimmy? for this episode I will never do again. And I read uh, the Larry, the Nemesis files before. Um. So I knew the whole time what was going on. Yeah. And so yeah, I didn't get yeah. the pleasure of really seeing what these great actors were doing to, to sort of mm. switch up what might be happening. Well, it really did surprise me. And I, I was impressed. I was, I was deeply impressed. Who wrote this one? Uh, it's a one-off. I, I forget his name, but he, it, he had written before, but this is the only episode he got to write by himself. Uh, and he was a producer, but for a very short window of time on TNG. 
Well, it's terrific. I love this script, up and down. At this point, the captain seems to have a plan. Right. <laughs> He's doing a lot of shifty looks around at his own people and taking little pauses and going, and putting the pieces together. He seems quite confident, let's say, when he comes in and lets the, the new bigger ship come straight at them. He has said to Kevin, since you are this pacifist, would you ever kill anyone? Ever? And he says, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. No, no, wouldn't do it, no. So they get back on the ship and the bigger alien ship comes back. And what happens next? Blows up Kevin. Out of the way. Yeah. Immediately yeah. blows up Kevin. Uh, the first thing that happens is it comes right at the ship and he's like, don't put up shields. And then it moves back in towards the atmosphere. And he says, we will not be interfering. Yeah. And then everybody looks very scared. And I here's where I start to think the captain could share some of the plans. <laughs> with people. Because uh, then he just steps aside and lets it murder Kevin and Rashawn. Boom. And then fires one torpedo and what happens? Boom. <laughs> Shit blows Everybody up. made a boom sound and a boom with their hands. Well choreographed, my friends. <laughs> then Captain turns and says, any reason to stay at Rama 4? And Riker says, well, the Kevin and Rashawn are dead. The aliens are dead. I guess not. This is where, you're right, Picard should have just told everybody what was going on. Everybody's questioning him. It's not right. like you're some kind of British school teacher where you're trying to prove a yeah. point here. Like, He's trying to I'll, be Perot, right? He's trying yeah. to be, like, I'll bring you all into the den later for a master unveiling of my plan. But right. he's also hiding from this Q-like character. Like, he's got to be thinking something along those lines. Mm. Like, this is a Q, right? Uh, he's so confident having dealt with this fucker so many times that he doesn't share with anybody. But also, he thinks he can hide by going a few more miles into orbit. Like, I don't understand. Well, Kevin <laughs> has proved that he does not have advanced, like, knowledge. Like, they're constantly surprised when they... Yeah, show up on their doorstep yeah. like he hasn't they don't have a ring camera right that like or a a, a detection <laughs> but you think he would at least watch until they're gone he can see them far away or he hadn't been able to send a warp 9.5 spaceship far away from the planet problem with that though is that they never the kevin never meets troy right she's right. never on the planet they never interact but he somehow knows, like he knows that she's an all. empath and he needs to block her he can do that when yeah, the ship is level. hundreds of miles away, but he can't right. know that they're beaming down or or any of that stuff. It just that seems a plot hole like he can literally yeah. we'll find out soon affect an entire yeah. species all over the universe. But we can hide from him in upper <laughs> orbit. All right, we can move on from that there. is a plot hole. There are some plot holes. The whole Picard thing not sharing is a plot hole, right? That's a writing failure uh, that you you hinted at it, Eric. Like all they had to do is have a scene where he's like, I can't divulge because I think right. telling you I think he's listening will blow it up. So trust me. Uh, and then done. We don't. But, the, you know, it sort of took me out of it. It's like why I put curious that Picard's the only only one who knows what's going on. Yeah. With all these smart people around, he's the only one who's got it, and he doesn't want to share. And honestly, looking at it now, when we have so many generals and colonels in the highest-ranking parts of the military kind of openly pushing for some really weird shit, um, I look at this, and I wonder why the fuck Riker and Worf and the others didn't say anything when he let the people be blown up. Like, if he's the only one who knows, and nobody else on that ship said anything... I I'm 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 really sad. <laughs> That's a very good <laughs> you know? point, right? Because uh, they they're at least you know you should be trying to save them as much even if it is just one person. Right. I guess yeah, right. we've seen some mind control shit like you know I, command. To Riker's credit, he does go into the ready room and is like, yes. "What up, bitch? What are we he doing waited here?" Waited a while, 
but he did go after do that. three we've been here three hours <laughs> he says there's nothing on this planet until the people you allowed to die are still dead by the way Casey you were and, wondering and then Picard says I don't know if I'm right <laughs> I, have, I have no idea he's like I'm going on an assumption here and when you assume you make an uh, I forget I don't know how the rest of that goes it's just like that floors me uh okay so then the the uh the two acres shows back up boom it seems very clear that they're not destroyed and they're gonna uh picard says they're gonna beam them up right so they do Mm -hmm. and i write down oh shit picard thinks it's kevin and then i said okay i think it's her So I still have no idea at this point. I'm it's still turning sun. in a circle. It's their son. It's the son. <laughs> and then Cap comes up uh, after he has figured out the whole thing and is about to explain to Rashawn what's happening. And he says, again, this is not aged well because we talk about it differently now. But he says, Rashawn, I can touch you. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's Rashawn. Can I touch you? Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, she might not exist, Cap, but that's weird. Pe- Picard's like, I'm Italian. I just love, I love, I'm a huggy person. <laughs> Oof, these monsters. Uh, and then at this point, I'm just convinced he's a Q. Like, now, I'm like, I'd forgotten they had introduced more than one Q at this point. Um, hmm. And I wonder why they didn't. What do you guys think? Had they introduced more than one Q in TNG by this point? They had talked they about talked the about Q continuum. But never... We knew that. Right, right. But they, we hadn't met Corbin Burnson yet. Yeah. Uh, what? I can't wait. I can't wait. From, <laughs> from La Law? La Law. <laughs> in Major League. Um, so I thought it was just a Q, and I was like, oh, we're going to meet like an emotional, uh, nonviolent, pacifistic Q. Like, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but instead, uh, we meet a Q with a different name. A Dowd. A Dowd. An Irish Q. That's why he named himself Kevin. Ah. There it is. Um, uh, Canon. I think the Dowd is super interesting. I, you know, I don't know if we've ever seen another one. I didn't look it up, but I don't remember other Dowds. But he implies they're all over the place, immortal, and can look like anything they want. And he fell in love. It was a funny phrasing of what they do. It was almost like meddlesome or something. They basically do whatever they want. They're they're bored and they can do whatever they want. They're, it's Puck. Yeah, mm. like legit. Only this guy in particular is just kind of a nice dude who wanted to be married to... Uh, um, yeah. What's her name? I get the Rashawn. feeling that he's, he's, <laughs> he's like uh, reformed a little bit. Like he might have been yeah. more uh, mischievous in the past, but it was through his love... That that he changed, right? He like he made himself into a, a better being. Did he? Well, that's what he says. <laughs> so this, I but mean, this then is the we find out. This is the Perot scene, right, where you get to see yes. it all laid out and and have them discuss it, and it's very satisfying. I do have to say, like after having all these questioning moments, being able to have Picard walk us through and then get Kevin the Dowd um, to admit it all is is very fun to watch. So. What I really wish had happened is that we'd gotten a shot that as Kevin tells us about his relationship with the Hoosnock, which we'd never heard of, right? Yeah. Hoosnock is this galactic-spanning warrior race that knows nothing but war and hate and pain and fear and all that shit. Because you got to have a boogeyman. Uh, it's what the, the Klingons used to be described as. So... He tells the story of, of destroying the Hoosnock that are attacking the planet. And Captain Picard's like, I knew it was something like this. I tell you all, there's blah, blah, blah. And then he says, no, 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 no. All of them, 50 billion of them all around the, the universe. And what we needed to have in that moment was a wide shot of the entire group as they all realized what a really shitty situation they're in standing in a room with someone like this. Who could do this, yeah. Like mm-hmm. there needs to be a group step back of like two inches and something that Picard can lead through and dis- and set the tone for the crew. Like that's a, a moment that I feel like was missing. Instead, what we get is Picard says, 
we have no law to fit this crime. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you do. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that the entire moral code of, uh, you know, everything that the Federation does is uh, about this form of genocide that we've just, but you know what? You do, you go back to the planet. Is it fear? Is it because they know that if they try to stop him, he'll, he'll kill them. Is it, like sadness you you lost everything and these people were assholes in the first place so so be it Worf, i think sums it up a little bit when he wants to stay and everybody else goes is this is a pragmatic society the federation they don't fight the fights that need fighting necessarily they fight the fights they can win uh they fight the fights that need fighting in a defensive measure but they don't seem to go after groups that are bigger than them who are doing bad things on the wreck. It also reminds me of Armis too, right? Like where Armis is literally the the skin of evil, right? Like he's got all Mm -hmm. just, and they're just like, we're not going to destroy you. We're not going to pass judgment. We're just saying nobody go on this planet ever. You know, it's more of an exile. And I feel like that's what uh, Picard's trying to do here is just being like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't judge you, but as God is my witness, no one is going to ever encounter you again from the Federation. You know, if I can. Right, but he gets to go wherever he wants. Right. So they're not really stopping him. (laughs) Like, they're literally just going, it's like the Eddie Izzard bit about genocide and how if you kill one person, uh, we put you in jail. You kill two, you know, we send you to Texas, they hit you with a brick. And he says, you know, you kill 125,000. We're almost like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of leave it like that. You know, yeah. it's it's a, a great indictment, but I, I do think it's right. Like they look at him, they go, oh, we can't do anything. Right. Wag our finger. Goodbye. Well, that's where they missed a little bit of an opportunity there, because the question isn't we can't do anything. But, you know, the helplessness like they didn't yeah. they didn't go into that of how do you punish a god? And the answer seems to be you can't. Um, and, you know, the helplessness of we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yeah, you know, that's like, what I want. Yeah, it, like to, to acknowledge it, not to make it seem like they were trying to like they were giving Picard agency by it was like his decision, and it wasn't ever. It was like you just couldn't do anything, and you know you can't. So I wish the writers would have acknowledged that and allowed a great actor to have those lines of whatever they are, but acknowledging you're just too big for us. As big as we think we are, you're too big. And they can still have the trip down to say goodbye to Deanna uh, personally if they want that at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a completely usable thing. I agree. I, I felt like that was missing. It's a weird tone at the end, like super duper weird. He goes down to Diana. He has to go down to Deanna's room to see her face to face to take the music out, I guess. Right. Which he didn't have to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Picard is even like, he'll do the right thing. Like, I know him right. as a man of conscience. And you're like, but do you? He killed 50 billion people when he got poked. Like, nah, you guys should all be much more scared of this guy. I don't get it. I, I love that the writers here apparently understand that there is a difference between omniscience and omnipotence. Mm. And I like that. Like, I, I, I kind of like that both Q and this guy are both smart and really stupid. We get this monolithic kind of idea that the Hoosnacks are just bad because they have technology, you know, but like we don't know every individual within that empire. We don't know that even what they were trying to do to this planet was necessarily, you know, morally wrong. Yeah. He could have stopped it. He, he could have stopped it. He could have, you know, protected them, put a shield around it, could have moved that planet to another place. Like he says he tried all of that stuff. And again, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't smart enough to think of the tactics that he could have used. Like, yeah. Uh, non, yeah. He tried to trick him, but he yeah. could have stopped it. Right. He he could have used what he's doing defensively. He could have just made the ships their ships not work, yeah. or he could have killed them. Like I think that was their point. Is like you could have you could have snapped guys, it away. Kevin needed a teacher like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would have got his shit in order. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, our final kind of feelings about the episode itself, shall we? 
uh, Jimmy, what do you what do you think about this episode? What kind of scoring situation? Uh, I liked it overall. Uh, it was pretty fun. You know, I think a bit lazy that we keep meeting these omnipotent beings. Uh, this is, you know, I don't know, the, at least second with Guyan in there, third. It's it up there. And then when you take in the whole canon of the Star Trek universe, we know there's at least five or six of these extremely uh, godlike people and when you know when we learn about him snapping away 50 billion people i was like well that makes the infinity stones look like a handful of boogers uh because <laughs> he did it with just a thought rather than having to collect all the stones pretty boogers you know and there were some plot holes there um not you know we had talked about a bunch of those already and that sort of lowers it um i thought it was a bit lazy that they painted the husniaks as this supposedly um homogenous evil empire which was supposed to lull us into not thinking kevin was that bad for killing all of them um you know and that's just making it you know one dimensional like that a whole race is always the most boring choice you can make so overall i'm gonna give it seven handfuls of boogers <laughs> that's pretty good seven it is kate what do you think about this uh, i'm gonna give it seven dancing snow globes <laughs> <laughs> because I really love the um, the actors in this in particular. And yeah. I do love the the sort of mystery bit of it all. But there are too many plot holes. And for me, just Picard not being Picard is uh, takes it from being uh, able to be a, 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 a bigger score for me. But I really enjoy it. You can dance to it. It's got a nice beat. <laughs> Greg, what about you? I am going to go with six and a half bars of music that you can't get out of your head. We've all experienced that evilness. Um, that, that Those scenes with Troy legitimately scare me and make me feel horrified for my life. I think in the 80s in particular, that, that idea of uh, children's music or calliope music playing was very terrifying to me as a child. Uh, I don't know what, if it, what it came from exactly, but having that played here in an adult sci-fi setting and yeah, it's creepy as fuck. And I felt for, for Deanna that whole time. So the, the, the techniques used in this, in this episode were really spot on including the, uh, the actors, as you're saying. Um, but I kind of talked myself into not liking it over the course of this discussion because of, these weird plot holes and the fact that it doesn't really come to a satisfying moral conclusion. It does have a nice mystery conclusion where I like that, that ending scene on the bridge when you get to kind of hear everything happening. Um, but I really wish that they had talked about, you know, what it means. I mean, it's really just about war, right? Like who are combatants and who are non-combatants and is it okay to do X if you're going to save X amount of people later on, all those things uh, just weren't really, discussed enough to make me feel like this was um, approaching the subject with maturity, like Measure of a Man did, or like some other, you know, first, not First Amendment, I always want to say that, Prime Directive um, kind of episodes try to do. Um, this one didn't even bother with even mentioning Prime Directive. It was just like, oh yeah, you killed everybody? Well, I hope you don't do it again. Uh, bye. So yeah, good sci-fi stuff, but not awesome. I dig all that. I liked it quite a bit better than the three of you. Uh, so you're wrong. And the actual score is uh, nine missing Guinans. I like to think of episodes like this. You know, every episode that Guinan's not in, she knows what's happening on the ship. Mm. So sometimes she's just sitting there reading a book and sipping tea and mm. she checks in a little bit and just kind of goes, ha, and, and just chuckles at the hijinks that, that her crew's up to. And sometimes like this one, she's like walking around 10 forward, staring at the ceiling. <laughs> like keeping an eye on <laughs> on what's happening elsewhere in the ship, you know, just kind of going. Okay. Unless the music was playing for her too. <laughs> no, I think I think she. I think it would be very interesting to see what she's doing at times. Uh, like this. She's you know, got many husbands. She could be attending to any one of her lovers. It's true. When when she's not in ten forward, I right. do not believe she's on the Enterprise. That's mm. a very good point. Um, Anyway, I give it nine. I clearly was completely gotten hook, line, and sinker by the mystery elements that either are there or I put there, um, which is you know part of what's fun about being a mystery fan is you put mysteries where they don't actually exist. 
But I really fucking enjoyed the, the mystery aspect of this. So I, I had a great time. Fantastic guest stars, which I'm always hoping for. And a real fucking comedy masterclass of deadpan shit from Warren. Um, so I give it a full fucking nine. Jimmy, you're moving. Do you have something to say? Or are you uh, doing your arthritis? Uh, <laughs> the latter. I was, <laughs> I was oh, also reminded, we didn't talk about it, but Picard does... Uh, show up to Worf at the end, uh, you know, in the middle of this episode where he's like, oh, you saved your reputation on it. Picard just walks up to him and be like, Mr. Worf? Yeah. And he's like, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, he has, it's it's when they're about to be attacked by the yeah. enormous ship. He's got time to go over and chastise Worf before he says, <laughs> uh, let's go deal with this big ass fucking exactly. thing that can murder us all. That's so funny. Love it. Comedy. Picard was, was pretty prickly in this episode. Mm-hmm. Top to bottom. Uh, well, so that's it, everybody. That's episode The Survivors, episode three of season three of Star Trek The Next Generation with us, your re-engaged crew. For Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, Jimmy G, and myself, Eric Gratton, I can tell you this with confidence, at least one of us has wet pants. <laughs> that's true. Not the guy with arthritis. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready to reengage.